You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Twenty twenty can still surprise us. We've come to expect bad shit daily, the worst shit. Murder hornets, pandemics, cops killing unarmed black people, cops tear gassing peaceful protesters, cops shooting journalists in the face with rubber bullets, the mendacity, cruelty, and bigotry of the Trump administration, the mendacity, cruelty, and bigotry of Trump supporters. And who can even keep track of the racist Karen's anymore? It feels like there's a brand new viral video every half hour. We're still putting kids in cages, we're still heating up the planet, and Republicans are still pushing new voter suppression efforts. Like I said, the bad shit just keeps coming. Last week, the Trump administration announced new rules that allow medical professionals to discriminate against LGBT people. That means potentially denying life-saving care to queer people, putting trans people at particular risk, and the Trump administration backed a plan to prevent same-sex couples from adopting children. Cops in Atlanta shot a black man, Rayshard Brooks, in the back twice with a shotgun as he was running away, which is against the law. Bad shit. Waking up and getting online in the morning? I don't know about you and your ass, but me and my ass instinctively clenches as I open my laptop. The news may all be bad, but hey, at least I'm getting my kegels done early. So yeah, I was surprised to read this headline first thing yesterday morning. Civil rights law protects gay and transgender workers, Supreme Court rules. Take it away, New York Times. The Supreme Court ruled Monday that a landmark civil rights law protects gay and transgender workers from workplace discrimination, handing the movement for LGBT equality a stunning victory. So yeah, that was a surprise. Happy Pride, everybody. There are other Supreme Court decisions about queer rights coming down the pike. The court, for example, has yet to rule on so-called religious freedom laws. These laws would legalize the exact same kind of discrimination the court ruled unconstitutional yesterday, so long as the bigot doing the discriminating remembers to name-check Jesus when they're firing someone or denying services to a queer person. But let's worry about that potential ruling tomorrow, that ruling, and the likelihood that this same court could overturn Roe v. Wade, and enjoy this unexpected victory today. The most surprising thing about yesterday's ruling? Trump appointee Neil Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion, and it wasn't 5-4, it was 6-3, with Roberts, Chief Justice, and Gorsuch voting with the court's aging and endangered liberals. We can't risk another Trump appointee on the court. We still have to defeat Trump in November. But this ruling bodes well for marriage equality. It makes the court look a little less likely to overturn Obergefell, the 2015 decision that legalized same-sex marriage in every state. So, hey, right now, if you're a queer person who's lucky enough to have a job and a spouse, you're a little safer this week than you were last week. So long as you're not a queer person who needs to see a doctor, wants to adopt a child, then there's still a pretty good chance you're fucked. Another surprise? Well, this didn't come as a surprise to me, and it won't come as a surprise to my listeners, but it seemed to come as a surprise to almost everyone else on Twitter. At the start of the pandemic, based on the info we had at the time, I predicted a potential new golden age of glory holes. 
You heard me bring it up the first time we talked about the pandemic on the show. It seemed obvious to me the primary risk during a sexual encounter wasn't the junk-to-junk contact, particularly if you were wearing condoms, but the face-to-face part. It wasn't penetration we needed to worry about. It was exhalation. And glory holes, for people who don't know what they are, for new listeners, they're small holes at roughly waist height cut into walls. You stay on one side of the wall, you breathe over there, your partner stays on the other side of the wall, and they breathe over on the other side. And last week, the New York Department of Health caught up with the Savage Lovecast. In addition to the usual recommendations from the New York Health, which we've been citing on this show for months, masturbating solo is safest, masturbating online with strangers is safe too, having sex with the people you live with is okay, last week they added this to their list of recommendations, make it a little kinky, be creative with sexual positions and physical barriers like walls that allow sexual contact while preventing close face-to-face contact. Barriers like walls that allow sexual contact while preventing face-to-face contact Glory holes, people. They're recommending glory holes. So glory holes aren't just being recommended by me, a deviant of the highest order, according to the Daily Caller, but by responsible health officials working to keep us all safe. I wasn't surprised that glory holes offered some protection. Seemed obvious to me all along. You could say I saw that coming. I'm just surprised to see it on an officially recommended list of safer sexual activities. Like I said, 2020 can still surprise us. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as much show, more guests, no ads. Illustrator and author Erica Moen joins us to talk about sex toys you might want to pick up during this lockdown. And we have a long conversation about the ethics and optics of full-size human sex dolls. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, Dan. This is a quarantine love sex story. I'm a 32-year-old woman in Arizona, and I met a man who just gets me and I adore, but I met him in the 1st of March. So we immediately had to go into quarantine, and therefore all of the sex that I had planned out with this man was suddenly not going to happen. So as usual, it starts with a lot of sexy nudes, a little phone sex here and there, a little videos here and there, the pretty common stuff that you do when you're not near someone you want to fuck. And then it occurred to me that we could get a little bit closer, but we couldn't be on the same side of a window per se. So he came over late one night while it was dark and all the lights were on in my bedroom, which I have a, a huge window facing out, a very private location so I couldn't be seen by anyone unless they were standing right in front of the window and I stripped down he gave me orders and told me what to do and there was mutual masturbation and it just rocked my world Um, we've done it a couple times since adding props and toys and it is a blast so to all your listeners out there don't get afraid to get naked and have a ton of fun even if you can't be literally in the same room Yes. Great reminder. Have fun. Just make sure if you're going to recreate this peeping Tom exhibitionist scene that the person standing outside your window can't be seen from the street or seen from other apartments in your building. Thank you for calling and sharing your excellent quarantine sex story. If you want to share yours with us, we might play it at the top of next week's show. Hi, Dan. I am a straight female from the Midwest, and I have a question about dick pics. 
I am in a relationship with a beautiful man who is well hung, dynamite in the sack, and he's also a very talented photographer and oftentimes takes many explicit pictures of himself and his dick and texts them to me. Uh, while I love his body, I'm insanely attracted to him. We have phenomenal sex. I just don't care for dick pics. I know I'm not the only one, but mainly it's because when he sends them, I am working. I'm with other people and I don't like to feign attractiveness. I don't like to pretend like I'm turned on when I'm not. So I don't like engaging in, you know, sexting in the middle of the work day. Like I would rather go home, have sex and be really explicit in bed than have a very explicit text message conversation. So I proposed to him that we'd be more suggestive via text and more explicit when we see each other and to stop sending me dick pics. And he just won't listen. He's done it many times since I've asked him to, and I always bring it up. And I'm just starting to feel like he's crossing a boundary, but I don't know if I am just taking it too personally. Uh, I don't want to discourage him from making the first move or being sexual with me. But at the same time, I feel like I've made it very clear that I am just really not into it and that I would be mortified if anybody ever saw that on my phone. So am I being oversensitive about this? How can I get him to understand that I am still attracted to him and his beautiful cock, even if I don't want to see it in my text messages? And how can I get him to understand that this is actually a boundary for me? Oh, he understands that you like his dick and like having sex with him, but don't like getting dick pics from him. He just doesn't care. He obviously wants to be objectified in part for his penis, and he believes, he has convinced himself, that you as his partner are obligated to objectify him for his beautiful penis, that it is your job to receive these images, whether you enjoy it or not. How do you get him to stop? Well, you have to strategically blow the fuck up at him. If you've gently suggested that maybe this is something that you would prefer that he not do, maybe – He's taken that as permission to keep doing this, obviously. So you need to scream and yell, maybe block his number, tell him you're not even going to open text messages from him until the end of the day because you don't want to get dick pics at work that somebody else might see if you open your phone in front of them. Scream, yell, block, refuse to read his messages. So if he's texting you about something else, you're not going to see that. If he wants to make plans, if there's something pressing he needs to share with you, you're not going to see that because he's conditioned you to not feel safe opening his text messages, except when you want to see his dick. And usually when you want to see his dick, you're with him. So you can see it in person. You don't need to see the pictures. If he had called or you'd given me his phone number and I could stage a little intervention here, I would tell him there are plenty of places online that he can go to post his pictures. There are big dick threads on Reddit and, and other places where people post their pictures because they want to be objectified for their dicks and they want the positive feedback. They want the figurative strokes from these strangers who are looking at their dicks online. I even know people who've met people. I know a straight woman who met somebody by uh, complimenting his pictures on one of these Reddit threads about big dicks. He should go there. If he wants your involvement, maybe that's the accommodation that you could make. Not that you will receive these pics from him because you don't want to receive these pics from him, but that maybe, you know, when you are feeling sexy and you are with him and he does have pictures to share that you will 
post them with him to these websites. And so he won't just be sharing his gorgeous dick with you, but you and he together when you feel like it and want it will be sharing his pics with the world. If that's indeed an accommodation that you're willing to make, but you have to explode. You have to scream and yell and stomp your feet because asking and being polite and deferential has gotten you to this point where when you get a text message from your lover, instead of being excited to know that he's thinking of you, you're dreading opening that message because it's going to be a boundary violation most likely again. So yeah, draw a line in the sand. He has to know that if he persists in sending you unwanted dick pics, even though he is your lover, he's not some stranger, he's not a colleague. If he persists in sending you these unwanted dick pics, you have to tell him, I will break up with you. I feel so violated by this. And it is symbolic of a larger disrespect for my feelings, my comfort, my safety, my opinions, that it makes me not want to be in a relationship with you going forward because this will manifest in other ways. If you can't prove to me that you care about how I feel and what I want with this, then yeah, I'm not going to hang out long enough to find out all the different ways in which you won't give a shit about my feelings, needs, safety, boundaries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hi, Dan. This had male in my 30s, and I think I've caught some kind of feelings for my wife's sister. My wife and I have been together over a decade, but ever since we started planning our wedding two years ago, we've been caught in a loop where my needs aren't met and my wife feels inadequate and defensive. We've been talking to a counselor for the past year, and things have gotten better, but I still don't feel like things are as good as I need them to be. My wife also wants kids, and while I think I want kids, I'm feeling a lot of doubt about having kids with her. About my sister-in-law. I've been infatuated with her in the past, but I followed your advice of, I don't know this person, I'm only seeing the good. And I made a conscious effort to allow the infatuation to pass, and it seemed to work. But as I've gotten to know her better over the past few years, my attraction has come back and intensified in the past six months she's been living with my wife and I. And then, a couple nights ago, I was in the room adjacent to my sister-in-law's bedroom, and I heard her masturbating. Maybe it's stickful thinking, but the walls are thin, and she easily would have heard me opening and closing doors and walking around right next to her bedroom. Her moans were not quiet, and now I can't get it out of my mind that she might somehow have intended for me to hear. I'm feeling overwhelmed and afraid that I might say or do something on impulse that could upend both of these relationships. And I'm afraid that even if my wife and I work things out now, my feelings for my sister-in-law will come back again in a year. And I'm afraid that my sister-in-law might make an overt advance and I won't know how to respond. I don't want to blow up my relationships with my wife or her sister, and I don't want to cause strife in their family. But these feelings of attraction and desire I'm experiencing are overwhelming me, Dan. What can I do? You say you've been planning your wedding for two years and with your wife for 10 years. So I assume that in the last two years when you began planning your wedding, you had the wedding and you got married to your wife despite your pretty ambiguous feelings about her, despite not being on the same page about wanting kids or wanting kids with her. You might want kids with someone else, someone else like maybe your sister-in-law that you live with, dude. You need to get a divorce. You need to undo this marriage that sounds like it was a mistake. It doesn't sound like you like your wife that much or you want the same things or you see her as the kind of person that you could have 
a future with, the future that she imagines having with a partner. And if you're not that guy, hopefully you have some residual kind feelings for your wife, some loving feelings for your wife, and you want her to have the things that she wants to have, including a partner who thinks she would be a good person to parent with and would like to see her have kids because he would like to have kids and you aren't that guy. Kids are such a fundamental aspect of a a long-term committed relationship that you just really have to be on the same page about that before marriage. It's not something that you can work out after marriage. There's no compromise or accommodation around kids. You have kids and you are parents or you are not. You can't half a loaf kids. And I haven't even addressed the masturbating elephant in the other room here, which is your sister-in-law and your attraction to her. Sounds like dickful thinking to me. She is living with you and has been living with you for six months and needs to rub one out every once in a while. And it's likelier that she thinks that you couldn't hear her or the room is a little bit more soundproof than it turned out to be, then she was sending you some secret signal by masturbating when she knew that you were in the house. When else is she supposed to masturbate? How often, particularly in the last few months, have we been out of the house? So I think you need to err on the side of not interpreting your sister-in-law masturbating in the way that you would like to interpret it in this self-serving, dick-serving way where she is sending up smoke signals of a sort, sending up moan signals to get you to explode your life, explode her sister's life, explode her own life. Yeah, no, that is almost certainly not what was going on. But if that is what was going on, if your sister-in-law does want to fuck you or be with you, that will be true two years from now, most likely. That will be true a year or more from now after you have divorced your wife. After you have ended a marriage that you probably shouldn't have entered into in the first place. You know, having a dick is sometimes having like a chaos agent in your pants. And it also is often the case that people who are in a relationship that they want out of will engineer an explosive exit. They will slam their fist or their dick down on the self-destruct button. And that may be what subconsciously is going on here. Perhaps you're attracted to your sister-in-law, but the explos- the consequences of actually fucking your sister-in-law and getting caught, which is exactly what would happen if you are fucking your sister-in-law in the same house where you live with your wife, her sister, it's going to be the end of this relationship, the end of the marriage, the end of your wife's relationship with her sister as well. This would be such a shit show. The consequences are so enormous if you were to touch your sister-in-law with your dick that you just can't do it. You can't risk it. You would never live this down and you would destroy a relationship between two sisters with your dick. If she wants your dick, even if you go hit on her and it turns out that she doesn't want your dick, what do you think that's going to do for you? What do you think that's going to do to your marriage? It's going to end it, which is what I think you want to do. You want to end this marriage. You want to get out of this marriage. Get out of this marriage. And if in a few years your sister-in-law is still pining for you and sending up masturbatory smoke signals from the other side of town, she will text you and let you know. Not your sister-in-law you need to talk to. It's a lawyer. Hey, Dan. 50-something-year-old male living in the Midwest in a lifestyle relationship. My fiancé and I have been together for two and a half years. 
We've been in lifestyle for three years. We each came into it separately six months before we met. Uh, the first time we met was at an orgy. We were having sex within 15 minutes of meeting each other, which was awesome. And uh, not soon after we met, but we hung out for a while for a month. We were having a great time together. And after about a month or so, we decided that we were going to couple up. So we'd listen to your podcast. And we also read books like The Ethical Slut on, you know, how, how do we be a couple in the lifestyle? What, what, what do we have to do? And, you know, a big part of it was setting your rules. And that's what I have a question about was the rules that we came up with. And the basic of part of the question is, can we have different rules for each one of us? Um, which I assume we can, but how will that play out in the long run if one of us is a little more lenient than the other in what they can do? Uh, my fiance is really turned on when I'm with another woman and she sees me with another woman. Our rules are around, we are in the same room together. Um, we love playing with other couples, but she has been a little more uh, lenient or liberal on the rules than I have. She's let me be with others when she's not been around. So I've done that a couple of times and, and one time in particular, which was great, was we had uh, met this couple online and uh, the woman's fantasy was to be blindfolded and be ravaged by some guy she's never met before. And my fiance was okay with that and said, hey, if the husband takes pictures and videos of it, that'll be great because I can get off on that. And so he did at the time. We had that. But before that happened, I told her, I was like, well, I'm not sure that I would be comfortable with you doing the same thing. Like, it doesn't turn me on when you're with another guy. I'm fine with it. It's fun. I love when we're all together and, and having fun. But it doesn't really turn me on. I just like the fact that we can all have fun. And she keeps saying, well, you'll get used to it. You know, we'll, we'll get you there to the point where you can be okay with me going off and having fun. And, but I'm not sure that's the case. So is that going to cause a problem? My, my, my question is, is that going to cause a problem in the long run? If she's more liberal with me and I'm more strict with her, or are we going to have to come to some sort of accommodation where... I do get there and I'm more liberal with her or she pulls back the reins and I'm not able to do that stuff anymore. How, how sustainable is this with different rules? Will this cause a problem in the long run? The fact that you're allowed to fuck other women on your own and fuck other women in front of your fiance and she's not allowed to fuck other men on her own or you don't particularly enjoy or get anything out of watching her fuck other men in front of you? Well, it depends. It depends on why your fiance is allowing you to fuck other women on your own and other women in front of her. And the reason she allows that is it turns her on. It turns her crank. There's something in it for her, those photos and videos, specifically that one time, that first time, there's something in it for her when you fuck other women. It is a turn on for her, independent of whether or not she's getting to fuck other men on her own or in front of you, it turns her on and it turns you off the thought of her being with some other man alone. At least it turns you off right now. If she's only allowing you to do this because she hopes to be allowed to do it herself in turn, well, then it's a problem. 
But if she allows you to do this because it turns her on, whether or not she gets to do the same, then it's not necessarily a problem. There are a lot of people in open relationships where one person is allowed to do something the other person isn't allowed to do. And from the outside to, to somebody outside the relationship, if somebody just hears about it, that seems unfair on its face. But if you strip it back, you often find the person who's allowed to do something the other isn't, the one who isn't is turned on by the you know, the first partner being allowed to do that thing that they themselves are not allowed to do. So it's about the turn on. It's about what turns both your cranks. And that's where the fairness and egalitarianism really kicks in. It's not as simple as, well, you get to do this, so I should get to do this. It's what are we doing here in this relationship? We're doing things that turn us both on. And uh, again, it's really only a problem if she really, really, really wants to do this thing that you're allowed to do and you won't let her do it. Well, that might create in time resentment. She might yank her permission for you to do these things that she's not allowed to do. But if she enjoys the turn on, you know, those pictures and videos or stories are getting to watch more than she resents or misses not having the same license herself. Well, then it can work in the relationship to have this kind of imbalance for one person to be allowed something that the other person is not. You often find that in open relationships, people have irrational fears or people have rules that allow them to, you know, be open at all. And there are sometimes little disparities in the rules. But again, underlying the perceived disparities is a, a, a the shared goal and the shared experience of both of us are turned on by this. This is working for both of us, even if, it seems unfair-ish on its face. And who knows? She may be right. You know, There's a reason people don't, when they open their relationships, carve the rules in stone or have them tattooed on their children because the rules often evolve and change over time. And what a person isn't comfortable with now may be something that a person not only gets comfortable with but is turned on by in a year or two, a bit down the road. So keep an open mind. Do what works for the both of you right now. Works for her when you fuck other people. Doesn't work for you when she does or at least on her own. So don't do that. Do the stuff that works for both of you for now and revisit the issue and revisit and revise the rules as you go. Hey, Dan. I am a gay man in my mid-30s asking about divorce during this time of the virus crisis. Um, I'm a married man with um, me and my husband have been together for 10 years, but I've been feeling like I want to get divorced. Uh, We've met when I was young in my early 20s, and I had just recently come out, and we've been together ever since. And I feel like now I'm a very different person than I was 10 years ago and have realized that there's different things that I want in a relationship, particularly a long-term relationship. And I feel like I'm not getting this in this relationship and I want out. But the kicker is, one, I feel bad for leaving him at this time when it's hard to socialize and meet up with friends and find companionship and find other things to help you move on during a divorce. And so I feel like if I broke his heart and leave him at this time, that he won't be able to appropriately cope. But I also feel disingenuous for sticking around and, you know, trying to make him feel good and trying to be happy about our marriage when I'm not. 
And also I have some mental health issues like depression that I'm getting help with and I kind of require his insurance to receive this. But then it also makes me feel bad like I'm just using him for his insurance. I don't want to jerk my husband around because he's a very sweet guy and I do care for him. But I don't want to drag out a marriage that honestly gives me anxiety when I think about a creature together. I'm generally a fan of when you know it's over, you should go. It often compounds the pain of being left or divorced to realize that the person who's leaving you and divorcing you wanted to leave and divorce you a long time ago and all protestations of love and fealty and commitment during that time when they'd already made up their mind to leave you were lies. And, and so, yeah, I think that people should end things when they know that they for sure want to and are going to end them. We don't always know that for sure. Sometimes we feel like we want to end it and we're not sure and so we don't and then down the road the relationship kicks back into gear and revives in some way and you're glad to still be in that relationship. So I'm not saying that just because you've thought about leaving that you got to pull the trigger and you got to go. You got to leave. I'm saying when you know you are going to leave, you should leave. I think your impulse is correct at this moment. You know, when you do leave someone, someone that you loved, someone that you grew and learned with and you've benefited from being in that relationship, you want to do it in a considerate way. You're going to devastate that person, but you don't want the devastation to be so complete and total that they can never recover. And it would be difficult, as you say, for your husband right now to find the help he needs or maybe the companionship he needs that old saw about the fastest way to get over someone is to get under someone else and your husband isn't going to be in a position to get under someone else for a while because none of us are able to get under anyone at the moment without taking irrational risks. So yeah, to kick this can down the road three months, six months, so that when you do tell your husband that you are leaving him, he is able to see a therapist, he is able to join a group, he is able to hang out in real time with his friends, he is able to hook up with however many people he needs to hook up with to properly get under someone else or a parade of someone else's. Yeah, that would be the considerate, loving thing to do under these circumstances. Also in that three to six months, you can make arrangements to find a way to pay for the health care and mental health care that you need that right now you get through is insurance. You know, that insurance is tied to employment, as we've all seen right now, is crazy. It has always been crazy. You know, you get sick and you're too sick to work, so you lose your job and you lose your health insurance. What fucking sense does that make? Often, it also is terrible that because we don't have socialized medicines and we aren't all individually entitled as a right to health care, that people are often dependent on spouses for healthcare, which can convince someone to stay in a terrible relationship. Sometimes people with kids who have healthcare needs, and almost all kids have regular, routine, ongoing healthcare needs, stay in relationships with abusive partners because they get their health insurance through their partners. And it's just the, the whole healthcare system is insane. And you're not the only one who's had to factor into a decision about whether to end a relationship or what am I going to do about my health care and my ongoing mental health care needs. Well, if you're going to delay three to six months so that when you do leave your husband, he can find the help and resources and, and shoulders to cry on that he's going to need. Well, in that same time, you can get your own health care plan. You can make arrangements. You can figure that part out so that your treatment isn't interrupted when you go. 
Hi, Dan. I'm an infectious disease epidemiologist, and I study COVID, and I've been doing some advising for my state um, for how to proceed with the outbreak. And I keep hearing calls about people who are wanting to meet up during COVID, and I can't help but scream that the obvious answer is that you just quarantine for two weeks before seeing the other person. So if you start shifting your grocery shopping to a two or three week schedule, you buy everything you need, or you do the um, online grocery thing where you pick it up, uh, you know, you order it online and then you drive to the store and open your trunk and they throw it in. If you're quarantined and both parties are quarantined, you can meet up and have as much sex as you want because after two weeks, if you haven't seen anybody, the odds of you being infectious are very small. That's good advice. So we got this epidemiologist on the phone, verified who she is and that she's an epidemiologist and that she does the work that she claims to do, but she doesn't want her name on the show for certain reasons that we're going to honor. But but here you are. Welcome, epidemiologist who called the show. How are you doing? Hey, Dan. Thanks. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, like last week we at the top of the show, we discussed these new suggestions from the Annals of Internal Medicine, a, a study done about how people could safely have sex. And a lot of it is the advice that we've all been given and I've been giving that, you know, masturbation is the safest and cyber sex is also very, very safe uh, or having sex with the people you already live with. Although there's some risk there, you know, if your partner leaves the house to go to the grocery store and gets exposed and comes home and you guys fuck, you could get it that way. Um, but they trotted out uh, some recommendations for how you have sex with someone that isn't a partner that you live with in person. And on their list of recommendations in the adult internal medicine, nothing about quarantining for two weeks straight and then fucking the shit out of each other. The recommendations were don't kiss, don't eat ass, wear a mask, no piss play, avoid semen, shower before, shower after, and clean the physical space where you'll be fucking with soap and alcohol wipes before and after. Are those recommendations valid or safe? Epidemiologist who's crafting recommendations for states? So I'm going to I'm gonna defer to them and assume that they are safe. But, I mean, there's no – the only way to completely avoid getting exposed is to just completely isolate yourself and not touch anything that another woman has touched mm-hmm. um, for some number of days. I think the maximum it can live in a lab is three days on a surface. So if you really like, if you really don't want to do that, the only way to do it is become a hermit and hide in your house. But that's not a realistic recommendation. And so what the Annals of Internal Medicine is trying to say is like, here are some helpful suggestions that will minimize risk and that we think you could do, but you don't eliminate your risk. Right, right, right. I shouldn't have said safe. Safer. <laughs> That, that's a distinction that yeah, we got safer. used to making during the HIV AIDS epidemic. Yeah. That, you know, the safest sex Absolutely. was no sex, but that wasn't realistic and people were going to have sex. And when you had sex, here are the steps you could take to, to minimize or mitigate the risk. But we allowed people to take certain Absolutely. calculated risks. The yeah. difference, again, and I keep bumping on this with COVID, the difference with COVID is you're not just taking risks on your own, that you're assuming risks for others. Like if you take risks to have sex – and you get exposed and you go home to the people that you live with, say you're sheltering with your parents, you could expose them. You don't have to have sex with them to yeah, expose them. Yeah, so you should make your decisions about what you're doing based on the people you come into contact with. Mm-hmm. So if you are somebody who lives with another person who's young, healthy, and doesn't, or you know, you have, maybe you have a couple of roommates, they're all young, they're all healthy, they don't have any comorbidities, and they're all isolating well, then it's a very different story if you live completely alone. It's a very different story than if you live with an aging grandparents and you're taking care of them mm. and you're their only caregiver. 
Um, or if you have small children who are going on play dates with other small children, even if, you know, your kid is only seeing one or two other kids, they're, the kids they're seeing are probably seeing one or two other kids. And you have to remember that like your bubble is as big as all of the bubbles of the people that you interact with. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you make decisions about sex or about going to the grocery store or about going to, you know, a restaurant or any of the things that as we start to open up, you need to make decisions that not just knowing that they're not just impacting your own life, they're impacting your grandparents, your, your parents and the people you interact with. So if you're going into an office and you maybe have five other people in the office, well, you're also impacting those five other people. That's what's so insidious about this particular virus and the kind of fourth dimensional or four dimensional chess that we have to engage in as we decide what we're going to do going forward. Cause there's only so long, you know, telling people, no, you may not. And to abstain forever isn't workable. People want to mm-hmm. have sex and they're going to take risks to have sex. And sometimes taking risks is sexy and people like to feel naughty. And we're kind of creating this zone where people can take those risks and feel naughty and like they're getting away with something. If we tell people that there's no way to channel this natural yeah. sort of overwhelming urge, desire for sexual contact. I, I'm wondering, though, to, to get back to, to, to the subject of your call, you, you know, what motivated your call, your suggestion there that people quarantine for two weeks, how workable that is to, you know, it, and maybe, you know, some piece of ass is, is worth it. You meet somebody online, you're flirting, you're having online dates, you're Zooming. Um, although Zoom doesn't want people to use Zoom for that purpose, people do and are <laughs> every day. And, you know, you're, you're, you know, cybering and then you decide, I really have to have that deck. And so, you know, do you suggest to them, like, I will quarantine for two weeks, you quarantine for two weeks, but then you have to trust that they actually did. And how would you verify that? Yeah. And there's risk there. For sure. And so, the, I mean, that probably is best done. You have, like, I've heard, so I've been listening to your show basically every week. It's one of the few podcasts that I can still listen to while working on COVID because all the other ones seem to be about such, like, hard topics to listen to. And yours is so, so much lighter. <laughs> but I keep hearing people who have... You know, they're in uh, poly relationships and they have other partners. Well, they presumably trust those other partners. You know, and, and maybe it's not the time to go and try to have a quarantine session with somebody you just met on, you know, Tinder because you have no trust for them. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe your longer term partner or, you know, something along those lines, somebody that, you know, a friends with benefit situation where like, you know them and you can trust them more. It's the Dutch recommendation. Find a sex buddy. Yeah. And then, you know, quarantine when you can go to the grocery store once every two weeks and do it after you have sex so that you can then quarantine for the next two weeks. Good advice from the unknown epidemiologist, which is a, you know <laughs> one of those 50-year-old pop culture references I'm famous for. I'm referring, of course, to the unknown comic who was a big deal in the 70s when I was a very small child. Um, thank you so much for calling into the show, and we might uh, tap you again for some more advice as this continues to unfold. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to call. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, Dan. This is a pansexual lady from Texas. I've been listening to some of your calls about uh, master slave play and how sometimes people turn that into race play. I'm a femdom and I just really enjoy role reversal. Like pegging is very hot, I think. And I just want to throw it out to your black listeners. Do, do are there people out there who like to like flip the script, like have a a black master and a white slave? Does anybody eroticize that or practice that? 
there are plenty of black doms out there, plenty of men and women who identify in the BDSM scene as dominance, as masters or mistresses who are African-American. I think what you're asking, are there people out there who specifically eroticize or weaponize in those scenes the – you know, role reversal. You're the femdom. Usually in male-female relationships, men are more powerful, perceived to be more powerful. The culture favors men. So when a woman dominates a man in a BDSM scene, it flips that script. For some people, that flipping of the script is part of the erotics of femdom. But for others, it, it, it isn't. They're just dominant and somebody else is submissive and they're not tied into the wider gender power dynamics. That's not something they're tapping into into in their scenes. I expect actually I know cuz I've talked to people that the same is true for some people who are who have African American dominance uh, or who are African American dominance when their sub is white that there may be some element that's uh, of flipping that script of you know white power white supremacy and here's a white submissive and here's a black dominant but for many maybe even as many people that isn't an element of the scene that they are tapping into or eroticizing or even weaponizing in an erotic way. And yeah, I guess the short answer to the question is you could have just looked at Pornhub. There's plenty of scenes on Pornhub featuring black dominance and white submissives. And you'll see in some, the racial dynamics and power dynamics is a part of the scene. But for many, if not most, it's not. Not something that is brought up. This is just a black dom and a white sub. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to chat with Erica Moen, the cartoonist half of the team behind the weekly comic, Oh Joy Sex Toy, which she creates and curates along with her husband, Matthew Nolan. They have a new book out, Drawn to Sex, Our Bodies and Health. It's a sequel to Drawn to Sex, The Basics. It is some of the best and most accessible sex ed out there. Hey, Erica, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good, good. How's your quarantine before we get to sex toy recommendations? You know, honestly, it's been pretty Pretty solid. Uh, I, I've had you know a couple of weeks that weren't so great, but overall, I I I've been enjoying spending time with my husband and my garden, and yeah, I can work from home, so I've, we've been really really fortunate. <laughs> Cartooning, being a cartoonist, being a writer, we're kind of introverts and isolated already before this happened. Yeah, so maybe the cartoonists and the writers will survive. They they will. And honestly, like being forced to cancel all my plans, I was like, oh, thank God. Like I can just stay home. I don't have to see anybody that I love and care about. <laughs> so uh, let's talk sex toys. There are lots of people at home who may be extroverts who are missing sexual adventures that took them out of the house or took them into other people's beds. And we're encouraging those folks to think about maybe – having adventures in other ways, exploring the world of sex toys. And we wanted to get some sex toy recommendations from you for other people's quarantines. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one toy I actually just tried this morning and I'm already a great big fan of it. It's called Wand by WeVibe. And it's uh, it's sort of like the, the classic, you know, we, we think of the, the Hitachi magic wand, which is now just magic wand. Mm-hmm. It's got a great big, shaft for the a big handle and a great big head and it's got really strong vibrations they're really rumbly so they really like penetrate in through your your flesh to really give you a good jostling inside uh it's an external toy it's not like a penetrative toy 
Right, but those vibrations, a vibration from a wand goes deep. And one of the things we talk about a lot yeah. is that the clitoris isn't just the exposed bit. There's all this clitoral tissue that really drives deep into the body. And a woman who can use a wand to send those vibrations deep into her body is going to be hitting those clitoral tissues that respond to that kind of stimulation. Yes, exactly. Very well said. And um, and, and I, I, I talk about like, rumbly vibes and deep penetrating vibes as opposed to these more kind of like buzzier surface level vibes that mm. really stay kind of on the surface of your skin, which can totally be fun and plenty of people like that. But if you really want to go like deep tissue, uh, you, you want those big rumbly strong vibes. And, uh, Oh, well, so here's the thing that makes it special is that, um, so when you're using one of those big old wands and you've, you've turned it on and you use it and you get there, and then you just like flop backwards. You're like, you just want to have a break and breathe. There's always that moment where you have to fumble over your wand to find the off switch. And that doesn't sound like a big deal when I say it out loud, but uh-huh. honestly, it, it it's a hassle. And um, especially like if you've been you're with a partner, there's there's that moment of like you can't just fall into their arms. You're like, okay, hold on, while you rustle through and you scramble and you try to paw out your wand. Well, so this wand is set up so that it only activates when it is pressed against you. So the moment you, you take it away from your body and it's no longer, it, it, the sensors aren't going off to say like, okay, I'm, I'm being pressed again. It stops. Wow. Um, that, right? So you, so can, you can get you can off. Get off and just drop it. Just let it go. Exactly. And it turns itself yeah. off. And it's called the wand yeah. from WeVibes? Well, actually, it's just called wand by WeVibe. And WeVibe is we-vibe. And their website is we-vibe.com. Originally, when you said that, I thought you said the wand by Levi's. And I was like, what? The jeans company is making vibrators now? No, it's we-vibe, <laughs> not Levi's. Well, you know, I've heard good things about keeping your jeans on and putting one of those big, heavy vibrators on over the jeans. And it, like, makes a really nice sensation. So, I don't know. Levi's, take a note. <laughs> uh, and another one? Yes. Uh, and oh, and let me tell you, the wand it is a bit of an investment. It's a one hundred eighty dollars, but honestly, it really feels like it's worth it. It feels like it is you're getting your money's worth. Okay, and then I kind of have a split suggestion for the next one. The next one is a flashlight toy. And full disclaimer, my husband hasn't actually tried it yet, but it looks incredible. It's a flashlight with balls attached. So while you're fucking this flashlight, it's got these hanging balls that'll kind of like slap back and slap into you. And that, like, he's really excited about that prospect. I'm excited about that prospect. That sounds amazing. So, so a flashlight is is a it's a penetration toy for a man. It's not a toy you penetrate yourself with. It's a toy you penetrate. So this is an opening that has balls hanging down under it. Yeah, and they're they're pretty good looking balls. They got a nice heft to them and. I don't know, just like as somebody who's had biological balls slapping against myself, like it's a really fun sensation to get that nice little like that, 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 that. And a lot of guys, you know, a lot of people who have balls, particularly low hangers, you know, the, the cremaster muscles pull the testicles up in some men almost all the way back into their body, into the cavities they descended from at puberty uh, during intercourse. But some guys who have low hangers, their balls kind of like, they slap, 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 as you were slap, slap, slap by some people's testicles. Um, but that slapping, that that like you know, repeated tapping of the balls, actually turns some guys on and helps them get off. So having balls yeah. hanging off your fleshlight that are tapping your balls could recreate that sensation. 
But you got to be a, a lot of fun. You got to be a ball haver who's cool with your balls being tapped by other things that look like balls. That's not a toy for the yes. homophobic. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so that is eighty dollars, and it is called okay. Not keen on the name, flesh sack, like a sack of flesh, and Ew. it's from Fleshlight. I know, right? Like, come on, guys, you could have done a better name there, but Fleshlight.com. Search for one word, flesh sack, and uh, and, and then I don't know, and then throw the <laughs> packaging away immediately and rename it. Call it Bob or something. Yeah. Right? No, it's like the toy, the womanizer, which is a great toy, but why did you name it that? You're like, no. Okay, anyway, um, so that's the flesh sack, which has not been tried out by my husband yet. The one that has been tried and true is Tanga Spiral, and that is about 30 to $50, depending on where you find it. And uh, yeah, that's a really simple sleeve. Uh, it's just this elastomer material. You just stick your dick in it. There's no hard exterior like there is with a flashlight, and it's good for about 50 uses. So it's not a, it's not a toy that'll last a lifetime, but it's really quality. It's super ribbed. My husband's a big old fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those things always strike me as like cleaning up is the problem. Like if you're going to use a sleeve or a, a flashlight, you're going to put lube in there. You ejaculate in there. You have to be kind of diligent about cleaning yeah it's it's a little more involved than just turning on the hassle of turning off the wand vibrator or unplugging it Uh you can't use a a flashlight and then wait a month to clean oh no please don't you've got to clean it (laughs) right away yeah yeah within a couple of hours you don't want to even wait till morning to, to clean that up no it looks like doing the dishes you want to get in while it's still wet you don't want to like have it be tried <laughs> you don't want to have to scrub the spunk and lube yeah. equivalent of dried tomato sauce off the bottom of that pot you know steel wool is the only thing that's going to get that so okay before we let you go i wanted to to, to ask you about something a, a little unexpected uh the subject of sex dolls has come up uh, recently on the show uh having them you know somebody has one the, the, the boyfriend has one they want to get rid of it they don't know what to do with it it's only used twice they want they can resell it uh you and matt had a sex doll for a while what was that like like one of those full human-sized sex dolls right oh yeah her name was alabama or it's still alabama and uh yeah she was our roommate for a couple months uh she's a full-on silicone wives sex doll uh, and it was an experience. Um, cause like, like Matt and I, we are pro sex doll. I know sex dolls get a lot of shit. Um, and people like want to make, you know, we told our friends like, Oh yeah, we've got a sex doll. And everybody immediately went for the low hanging fruit jokes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, no. Like there's value in sex dolls. They, they serve an important portion of the population. And I, you know, like mad respect for sex dolls. And also at the same time, wow, it was weird. You try out all the sex toys that come into your house. Did you try out the sex doll or did you just prop it up in a corner? And if you tried it out, what was that like? Okay, well, so both of us did our own versions of tryout, I guess you would say. I did the tryout where I dressed her up and I put a wig on her and like posed her. And then Matt actually did the for real trying out on her. And it's uh, it's a bit of a mixed review, honestly. So, okay, one thing that people do not anticipate with a sex doll is how heavy they are. Mm-hmm. It is, like, it's human-sized, and it's got this 
heavy-duty industrial frame because she needs to be poseable. So she needs to get into these positions. And then she has to support the full weight of an adult person, probably a man, on her too at the same time. So those fuckers are heavy and sturdy. I uh, I put a video up on Instagram of me trying to like just move her arms and it took my full, like, like I was going in there and really wrestling to get her arms into these different positions. It was hard. You know what? You know what I think sometimes creeps people out about it in some way is that like if you're using a fleshlight, it's basically a disembodied orifice. Uh, yeah. But you're fantasizing about the human being that you might be with like you're creating yeah. in your mind you know this other person uh who in your you know in your imagination has agency i hope can move um you know move themselves around so you don't have to to position them and you sort of sidestep you know there's not that uncanny valley sort of thing that i think people when they contemplate themselves or somebody else fucking a, a a sex doll, like how do you get past the uncanny valley thing of you're fucking this, this this thing that looks like a person that's not present, that has no agency or, or will or control, and whose eyes don't move? Like isn't that <laughs> unsettling? Like when you close your eyes and you're using a flashlight, the, the the person you're imagining whose orifice that might be is making eye contact with you and is a human being and maybe saying dirty fun things to you. But if you open your eyes and like these dead eyes are staring up at you from this basically toaster with a orifice duct tape to it or couch with an orifice duct tape to it, like, yeah, kind of, I'm pretty pro sex toy, pretty pro everything. And it does kind of creep me out. Think about it. Well, okay. Yeah, so everything you just said, those were all uh, challenges that Matt encountered when uh, testing, becoming intimate with Alabama. Uh, because he said the exact same thing about like when I'm jerking off into a masturbation toy, my imagination can go wherever and it's just, you know, it's just an object. And this is like, she's kind of meant to be more than a sex toy. She's kind of meant to be a human companion almost. And Matt, uh, he, he, he really struggled to deal with the whole frozen human aspect of it. So uh -huh. what he wound up having to do was put her into doggy position and then put one of my big sun hats on the back of her head <laughs> and not make eye contact with her and not make eye contact and then put on right next to her. He put on a little footstool. He put his iPad up and put on porn to watch instead of looking at her and then he had to just like close his eyes and try as much as he could oh, so to he forget had to, that he had to basically leave figure. the room while he was fucking her in yeah. his head. And, yeah. You know, I also think that's part of what, you know, there are people out there who sex dolls are their preferred companions and I don't want to shame anybody. And, mm -hmm. but I, I think sometimes people bump on sex dolls because of this, I don't know, intuitive discomfort with someone whose preferred partner is an inanimate object that they have complete control over. And that they, they not only, you know, it's not only maybe the only person they could get or the only sort of kind of partner they could get, but the kind of partner they prefer. You know, I'm the pro-objectification guy. Like I think sometimes yeah. it's okay to objectify people and be objectified. We, we desire to sometimes to be treated like objects, but you, the, the, mm -hmm. you can't only treat someone like an object. And even when you're objectifying yeah. someone, there has to be part of your brain that is still processing. This is a person. This is a human being with needs and feelings and I must be taking those into account, even in this moment of like hot objectification. 
And so someone who's just objectifying, who prefers the object, that we're uncomfortable not just with the object, but also on some level with that person. And I can see that. And also, I still have a lot of empathy for that person because like, they have found the, the outlet where that is safe, sane, and consensual. You know, true, like true. They're, they, they've found a literal object that they can objectify and do exactly what they want to. And they're not hurting a, a, a flesh and blood person. They're not imposing their will on a flesh and blood person. They're not denying the wants and needs of a flesh and blood person. So like, yeah, if you're going to go for a sex doll, good job, you. Um, right. To know, you know, and I maybe, guess it's know that. So if you know yourself to be the person who your preferred sex partner or your or the only way you can function sexually is to be with someone you can objectify completely and at all times. Yeah. Get an object. That is a much better thing to do and a much healthier thing to do, not just for yourself, but for all other humans than getting a person and treating them like an object, get an object and treat them. Like well, an object. And I feel like there's another aspect to this as well, is that there's some people who maybe they don't want to treat enough. They don't want to possess and own an object, but like maybe their social skills are, uh, de- developmentally difficult enough that yeah. having human interactions and having meaningful relationships and connection, like maybe they just can't find that in real life. Maybe they're not capable of fostering that kind of connection and relationship with because they don't want it, or because, or, because it or, because, or because they're just fundamentally not capable of possessing those skills. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. some people just can't and and it's you know there's no malice there's you know, no I guess it, the answer here is nothing like, wrong with them with so much well it's when it comes to sex i don't get it but i don't have to get it so long yeah. as you're doing it with you know in a safe sane and consensual way and you're not hurting anybody how it makes me feel when i'm not involved is irrelevant exactly Erica Moen, cartoonist half of the team behind Oh Joy Sex Toy. Their new book is out, Drawn to Sex, Our Bodies and Health, the sequel to the terrific Drawn to Sex, The Basics. Erica, thank you so much for jumping on the phone and tell Matt I said hey. Oh, I will. It's always a pleasure. Hi, Dan. I am a mid-30s, mostly straight woman in the Midwest. I am in a long-term relationship that is wonderful with a man who is... Uh, currently working from home. We're both currently working from home due to the whole coronavirus thing. And he has brought home several computer screens for his work. Um, The problem that I have been sort of experiencing with this scenario is he likes to have a Twitch streamer on the third screen that he's maybe not using at the moment for work while he's working, um, and it's it's always the monitor that is facing our shared living space, which is sort of small to begin with. So the Twitch streamers are always, like, virtually identical, <laughs> um, late teens to early 20s, blondes, like, attract, conventionally attractive women. Um, and it didn't bother me at first, but, like, as the months wear on with this, uh, seeing kind of exclusively this one type of person that he's choosing to spend like his platonic sort of free time, although he's also working usually with is, is sort of like wearing on me uh, in not in a jealousy way, so much as an insecurity way as a person who's slightly overweight and uh, in my thirties and not getting any younger. So I, I'm just, I've brought it up with him and he just doesn't see that it's a problem. 
Um, I've not expressed it in a way that he understands that it is like a problem thus far. Um, I'm wondering if I'm the controlling asshole, if I kind of put my foot down and say like, Hey, this is really bothering me. Could it stop? Or can we find a way where it doesn't have to be on the screen where I have to see it? Or is this something that I just have to find a way to deal with and like figure out my own insecurities and really it's not his problem that I'm having a problem with it. Not a jealous person typically and have no problem with porn and et cetera, whatever he's doing away from me, but I don't want to see it necessarily in my face. His aesthetic preferences that are so different from the way that I look and the way that I'm going to look in the future. The tech-savvy at-risk youth had to explain to me what a Twitch stream is, this phenomenon of people watching other people play video games. So your boyfriend, your partner, isn't watching pornography. He's not watching some cam girl on a cam girl site called Twitch that I didn't know about because there's no such thing. These are pretty blonde ladies playing video games, and people watch people play video games on this platform, which to me seems nuts but that's not the issue other people's pleasures are other people's pleasures pleasure is subjective i don't get it but people like it people can do it some of the tech savvy at risk youth like it and do it the issue here is he your partner always watches pretty young things pretty skinny blonde girls playing these video games and it's constant it's always up on a screen and it's a screen that because you're both working at home you have to look at too and you can't uh, avoid seeing and is having your nose constantly rubbed in his you know physical ideal his you know partner preference and is having your nose constantly sort of rubbed in the fact that this is his physical ideal these types of women inconsiderate well yeah it is inconsiderate it is kind of a rude and jerky thing for him to do you know it's fine to know that you're not the only person your partner is attracted to. It's true that your partner is attracted to other people. It can even be fine to know at, at some level that you're not your partner's preferred or typical type. It's reassuring to know that attraction and intimacy can transcend something as surface as a, a physical type. We want to praise people for that, right? That sometimes people are attracted to people who aren't their physical ideal, but the other person brings so much else to the table that you love them for who they are on the inside and you fall in love with them on the outside too, but you still have your types. And we know that. We know that we're not always our partner's types and we know that our partners sometimes have you know erotic fixations on people who don't look anything like us. But we don't like to be reminded of it. We want to be able to suspend our disbelief in the relationship and, you know, not think about that all the time or, you know, allow ourselves to believe that we are our partner's type. And of course we are our partner's type, even if we aren't our partner's typical type. It would be like – and so your partner's Twitch stream is interfering with your ability to suspend your disbelief or to not think about this constantly, not have it rubbed in your nose. And suspension of disbelief is important in relationships often, in movies. You know, we talk about suspension of disbelief most often in reference to – film and television where you get invested in these characters, you get invested in the narrative and it would interfere with our ability to suspend our disbelief of watching a movie if every two minutes one of the actors turned to the camera and screamed, it's only a movie. In a way, your partner, your boyfriend or husband, I don't remember which it was, is interfering with your ability to suspend your disbelief and, and, and feel 
that you are his type, that he is attracted to you by having this constant stream running in front of your face of his preferred type, of his physical ideal. So he needs to knock that off for now. He needs to not do this while you guys are working at home or you need to position the computers in your shared workspace in such a way where it's not in your line of sight. This may be how he likes to work with the Twitch stream constantly running with the pretty girls on it. But right now, out of consideration for his partner's feelings, it isn't the way he should work because it's interfering with your ability to suspend your disbelief. So he should knock it the fuck off. Hi, Dan. I am a 21-year-old woman living in the East Coast. I have a question for you and your callers about a particular kink. My boyfriend recently told me about a sex dream he had where he was using wax play on me and asked if I would be interested in trying it out. I think this is a great idea and I am open to new sexual experiences. However, we are both not experienced in more extreme versions of kink play. We have done some blindfolding, makeshift handcuffs out of fabric and dirty chalks, but we never did anything farther from that. How do we approach this wax play kink safely? Are there candles made for this kink that are safe for the skin or meant for this kind of activity? What are some precautions we should take? There's tons of information online and in books about BDSM about wax play, including recommendations about the types of candles that you should use. And I would encourage you to Google that shit. What I'm interested in about your call is that your lover rolled this out in, I had a dream because I think that's bullshit. People often raise some kink or desire they want to explore in this kind of weird passive way that I heard about or I saw or I had a dream. What do you think? And if you and your partner are to a point where you're engaging in some forms of BDSM play and bondage already, your partner should be secure and mature enough if he has something he wants to experience, wants to do, to raise it without framing this in this way where I saw or I heard or I had a friend who, what do you think? I had a dream. How weird. What do you think? If he's mature enough for you to explore this kind of varsity level sex play with, he needs to be mature enough to own that wax play is something that he's been thinking about or beating off about or wants to do, not something that the universe somehow conspired to give him a dream about in the middle of the night. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying go for it. But while you're Googling it yourself and finding those BDSM wax dripping wax play candles, which you can find tons of different versions of on Etsy, people make them and sell them. You should have a conversation with him also where you tell him that he doesn't need to to claim he had dreams when he didn't have dreams. If there's something he wants to try, there's something that turns him on, you want to know about it. He doesn't have to slip it into a dream to justify broaching the subject. Oh, and one tip about wax play, not if you have a hairy chest. Hi, I am having an issue with my boyfriend. He is super great. Like he is emotionally intelligent. We are able to resolve conflicts really well. The only it seems almost perfect, but the hardest part here is that I am much kinkier than he is. Um, I'm usually more submissive. And for example, one time when I was like, hey, you know, like dominate me, be mean to me, for example, he told me that I suck at doing dishes. And 
in hindsight, it's funny, but in the moment, it was just kind of like a mood killer. I've been with him for four months, and I haven't orgasmed in three, which is really, it's getting really frustrating because I can feel that I'm sexually frustrated, but emotionally, I am taken care of, and I just don't want to ruin it, and I want to make sure that he's comfortable. We've talked about kinks and stuff like that, um, but I am just, I think I'm also more sexually mature and more experienced than he is and just more comfortable with a lot of different role play where he is just still trying to find himself. And I'm not sure how to guide him through that process. I don't know myself enough to know what uh, kinks are important to me or how I can convey those and give advice on how to, um, you know, pleasure me. And it's not all about me. I make sure that you know i help him out but i just haven't orgasmed in a while what do you masturbate about what when you fantasize about bdsm or dom sub role play turns you on what do you think about when you masturbate you say you have been with this guy for four months you've had no orgasms in the last three are you masturbating please start masturbating if you're not masturbating and you say that you're the more mature more experienced and more comfortable one but then immediately after you assert those and then immediately after you enter those assertions into evidence, you say that you don't know how to give him advice or guidance and you have a hard time articulating your desires or what it is that you want to experience. He can't meet needs, particularly dom-sub BDSM needs that you aren't able to articulate. If this isn't something that comes naturally to him and even if it was, even if he was a dominant, you need as the sub to communicate with your dom about what it is that turns you on and what it is that you want. You do not want to go into a dom-sub BDSM scene with someone where you say gas or whatever it is that you want to do, figure it the fuck out. Particularly with someone who you know isn't naturally dominant sexually, you need to draw him a map. And if you are the more experienced and more mature and more comfortable with sex, you should be able to draw that map for him. You need to script these scenes. And I know as a sub, it can feel like it ruins it because then the top is just doing what you ask them to do. That's often the case at first. As your dom gets more comfortable, as they get to know you better, as they can you know, guess and predict the sorts of things that turn you on, they can begin to improvise a bit in the margins. That's that stuff that people refer to as pushing your boundaries. Well, they have to know what your boundaries are and where they are. And it, the first times you get together, really stay within them before they can get to the point where they're pushing your boundaries gently. But if you can't let him know what it is you're interested in, how's he supposed to know what to do? And that's just not safe. It's not safe to say to somebody, I'm into kink, I'm into S&M, come at me. That sets you up potentially to be traumatized and to ruin a kind of erotic play that's powerfully arousing for you by, by having an experience with somebody who's guessing wrong. Not only would that traumatize you potentially, it could traumatize the person that you encourage to just figure it out and guess. Because if he's not a monster, he doesn't want to be the kind of person who traumatizes someone sexually. So you have to get more mature, get more experienced, to get more comfortable before he's going to be able to do any of those things. I would encourage you to get and read the classics, updated classics, the new topping book, and the new bottoming book by Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy. They're terrific books with lots of really good and practical 
and emotionally sensitive advice for people who are just starting to explore BDSM. And so before you even think about fucking around and exploring this, read these books together and discuss them. And then you need to unpack for your partner what your specific fantasies are. You need to get to a place where you can give him advice and guidance. And if you can't get to that place, he's not going to be able to figure it out for you. He's not going to be able to guess and you don't want him to guess. That is too risky. So your homework assignment, in addition to masturbate, please have some orgasms. Your homework assignment, order the new topping book, Dossie Easton, Janet Hardy, and the new bottoming book. Take turns reading them. Maybe read them aloud to each other. That's where you need to start. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read your tweets. Still not elf tweets. I've been meaning to voice memo for the podcast a question about if the financial crisis caused the Findom kink, which is, of course, my theory. What will this one cause? That question, though, has now been answered by the New York Department of Public Health. Maybe this and medical slash mask kinks. Yes, I do think that the kinks we're going to see out of this are masks, people fucking the shit out of each other, but avoiding breathing on each other. Going forward, this will be eroticized just as income inequality was eroticized during the financial crisis and spat out a decade later as the Findom kink. I think we will see repercussions in people's erotic imaginations from the worldwide trauma that we are all going through right now. Sarah Korchesny tweeted out a story in the New York Times about a new kind of laser technology that allows us to see creatures in the deepest part of the ocean with remarkable clarity, a technology called Deep PIV. And Sarah tweets, obviously not a single at fake Dan Savage listener on the team that came up with the name of this technology. Clearly. Yes, that does seem clear. And finally, David Toronto tweets at fake Dan Savage as a pansexual. I smiled at the inclusiveness of panfricated in your opening last week. But here's one of, I'm sure, many friendly reminders that the bi in the sexuality sense refers to two or more genders. Thanks and love the show. Thank you for the reminder. If you want me to possibly read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi, this is in response to episode 711. A caller had called in about three straight men wearing rings on their left finger and on their right finger. Um, I had an ex-boyfriend that was polyamorous, had a wife, and then multiple other partners, including me. And he would wear his ring finger and then a ring on his right ring finger as an indicator that he was polyamorous. Um, It was a black band, which I think is specific to swinging, but I do think that this is a typical practice for polyamorous people. This is a response to your question in episode 711 about men wearing two wedding rings. It's highly likely that one of the rings is actually an engineer's ring, sometimes referred to as an iron ring. It's a symbol that the wearer is a professional engineer and usually worn on the little finger of the dominant hand. My dad is a professional engineer, and when I was young, I remember him wearing his wedding ring on one hand and his engineer's ring on the other. I actually know a guy who does that, and it's because he's a Mormon polygamist who has two wives. My dad actually wears a wedding ring on each hand, and that's because he travels internationally a lot for work. And in a lot of foreign countries, the wedding ring is worn on the other hand, um, not the one that's customarily worn on in America. Hi, Dan. This is a comment. There was a gentleman who left a voicemail and he was uh, intrigued by 
the unbuttoned jeans of an older gentleman at a company meeting or something. I happen to own one or two pair of button-up jeans also, and I leave two or three of the the buttons unbuttoned not to brag or to entice or anything. It's basically because it's a lot easier when you need to go to the men's room without having to button. I mean, I particularly have like one pair that has like maybe like six buttons. It's a pain in the butt to button and unbutton them. It's just easier access to go to the men's room. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Better yet, use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Those voice memo phone calls, the quality is much clearer. Thanks for better listening. We really appreciate everybody out there who's now using Voice Memo to call into the show. If you missed me and Nancy on the June 4th Savage Love live stream where we raised over $11,000 for Northwest Harvest, you can watch it on demand anytime you'd like. Go to savagelovecast.com slash events to grab a pass. And starting this Saturday, June 20th, we're introducing Hump Greatest Hits Volume 1, a selection of our favorite dirty films from 2005 through 2018. And we're going to donate a dollar of every ticket sold to the Black Lives Matter movement. Go to humpfilmfest.com to find a weekend show that works for you, including a special one for our hump fans in Europe. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Erica Moen on Twitter at Erica, that's spelled with a K, E-R-I-K-A, Moen, M-O-E-N. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian right here in the middle of Jazz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll all be back at you next week for another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.